Hello and welcome to jasonnewland.com My name is Jason Newland and my tummy is grumbling for some reason. This is let me bore you to sleep. Please only listen when you can safely close your eyes and oh yeah my stomach is making some weird noises I had something to eat earlier I've kind of run out of food apart from some frozen bits and so I had these stuff from Christmas that I got and everything like I guess kind of like cocktail sausages and they kind of they were something that you would serve with Christmas dinner that kind of things in a metal tray and so I cooked them and I had a a toasted sausage sandwich or lots of different little sausages <laughs> that made a toasted sausage sandwich and then I melted a tiny Mars bar that I had in the microwave and well, I'm not sure if that was a good thing to do but I then got some the remainder of an ice cream tub it wasn't the remainder of an ice cream tub. The whole tub was there. It's just the ice cream wasn't... It's a little bit left. Probably two tablespoons full. And I poured the chocolate, you know, the melted Mars bar that really looked... It reminded me a bit of the first Alien movie. Anyway, I put that into poured that into the tub of ice cream the remaining little bit of ice cream and mixed it together and uh, I had that as my dessert that was nice tasted yummy and now my stomach's been waking making some weird noise took my medication and yeah so <laughs> medication what for well <laughs> there are probably some people that don't realise I'm a bit weird I'm a weirdo I take weird medication for my weird illness. Ooh. Ooh. I believe I'm a ghost. That's what it is. Ooh. I used to believe I was invisible. Then I turned 40 and it became true. So, yeah, the, for those, for those, for those that 
those that have never listened to these Let Me Bore You to Sleep podcasts before, it's basically just me chatting boringly about stuff. That's it. Sometimes I could be telling you this and another time that. Sometimes I tell the truth, sometimes I lie. You know, it's a, it's a mixture of stuff. And... God, that yawn sounded like a seagull in distress. Did I ever tell you about this seagull that my friend rescued? So, I've kind of... As my stomach continues to rumble, you know what I did earlier? And this was probably early afternoon. Probably, maybe even late morning. I started doing a recording at Jason's story time episode and I was doing uh, Tom Thumb and I there was noise and sounds coming from the garden and so I kept pressing pause on the recording just to try and wait until the the sound had declined, reduced, subdued, gone away. And uh, every time I went to record, it would get a bit noisy again, so I kept pressing the pause button. And I must have pressed the pause button about 10 times. And then finally, I was able to get on with the story. I was talking for about 25 minutes and then realised that I hadn't unpaused it. So I didn't record. So I'd only recorded 10 minutes out of probably about 40 minutes. So I just deleted the whole thing. I went back in time and I deleted the book. So Tom Thumb no longer exists. I'm probably not going to read that book now. Until it's fresh again. So I need to I'll read it another time. Because the whole point of it to me is to read it for the first time. It's not that I've never read the story before, but it would have been when I was under the age of 10. So it's going to be over 40 years ago. So it's, it's more of a, it's, it's almost like the old excitement still there, you know, like almost like reading it for the first time being on the edge of my seat wondering what's going to happen next you know what I mean
So I'm not going to read that book. That that uh, it's a story, isn't it? Rather rather being a book, it's a story. It's not really a book. It's a story. It is a story, isn't it? Yes. And I'm quite enjoying reading them, actually. I thought I'd get bored after the first one. But, you know, seems to be going okay. took on both for a walk earlier or he took me for a walk and I noticed that his leg was fine he was running and bouncing around both legs and so for the first time in quite a while I let him go where he wanted to go because normally for the last week or two I've been trying to keep him on the grass only so he doesn't because he was dragging his leg which meant his foot was being cut open by I suppose the stones or whatever else that was you know who knows what's on the pavement and he likes to rub himself against the edge of the wall that's like the natural thing that he does Well, today I thought I'd give him another go because I let him do it about five or six days ago and he ended up bleeding again. So I thought, no, that's it. And when that happens, I have to bring him straight home. But I let him do exactly what he wanted to do, let him walk on the pavement, everything, and his foot was fine, absolutely fine, because there was no scraping. Because he was using it. So I think that's put me into a... Yeah, it's put me into a good mood. And so it should. After all that worrying. After all that money. All that hassle he caused. So... I guess, and it is a guess, that he must have injured himself somehow and it just took him a few weeks to heal because it is, it's got to be two weeks ago that he had the x-ray. And a week before that, that he went to the vets to start with. And it was the week before that that he actually hurt himself. Or that he started limping. He started limping on a Wednesday. I managed to get an appointment for the Monday. The x-ray was the following Wednesday. And that was, it's now two weeks later. I think. 
and he seems to be back. He seems to be, I mean, I know he was back emotionally and he's, and I think he's really gone away emotionally apart from when he was sedated and he had that major ab reaction. Really, that worried me more than the, the leg. And then, it's really weird seeing him like that. It's breaking my heart a bit because it was just, it was just practically, it was just docile. And if you've ever seen any videos of him that are posted on Facebook or on YouTube, or well, to be fair, if you've ever seen the video of any ferret, you see the last thing they are is docile. You know, they're very active, moving around. Apart from when he's asleep, then, you know, he's very docile, very quiet and calm and still. But when he's on it, he's on it. I was just so, it's just quite weird because I was making a recording I think it was a day after he'd had the sedation and he'd still been feeling, looking rubbish and all lethargic. And it was in the evening, I was making one of these recordings and suddenly he seemed to perk up and he started running around and like biting my foot or something. Just like, wow. But then the next day he wasn't quite himself again. And then the day after that, he was back. So it's took a lot out of him. I just wonder what's going on. Oh, I don't know. Just don't. I don't get it. Don't understand it. Maybe they gave him too much sedation because he was being so awkward. Because he was apparently he was biting the vet. I'm giving him lots of treats and hugs for that. I said, "Well done, Andre." No, I didn't. <laughs> So he was biting the vet, so maybe the vet gave him more sedation than he actually needed, thinking that he was uh, a trouble, trouble, you know, uh, a difficult pet. But if I'd have been there with him, he would have behaved himself, because he's a good boy, he really is. He behaves himself when he's with me. He's, he's so gentle. I mean, even today I was coming back because cause I was so happy to see him running and bouncing around and he took me for a walk. Like literally uh, we haven't been into the fields not properly since he hurt his leg and he took me into the fields and it was a bit late so I it started raining and I thought no because the tracksuit bottoms I've got on that's all I've got to wear because I don't mean in the world but the other stuff needs washing so I didn't want to get all this wet because then I'd have to be sitting around in some trousers and I don't sit around in trousers I sit around in tracksuit bottoms or jogging bottoms or whatever you call them it's the elastic suits my belly. 
my ever-expanding belly. It's just more comfortable. And so I thought, I said to Andre, no, we are going home. And he refused. He refused to walk back. Basically, I said, let's walk back. Because he wanted to walk all the way around the field. Which meant I wouldn't have got home for probably about another 45 minutes. And I wanted to get home before I got too wet. You know what it's like when you're getting wet and you you think, you know, maybe you, sometimes when you're on the way to work and you feel that you're getting a bit wet and you want to get to work and I wish I can get to work before I get too wet. Is anyone going to notice? I mean, it used to happen a lot when I was in my last insurance job. I lived about a 45 minute walk from my from my office and there was no buses hadn't been invented yet so I used to walk and it was really busy traffic so on a rainy day I'd get wet but also get all the the whatever you want to call it the, the overflow from the lorries you know going through the puddles spraying me so I'd get to work and I'd just be wet. And I remember once I got told off for putting my socks on the radiator. I said, how else are they going to dry? I said, it's a sock, isn't it? He said, yeah, your, <laughs> your underpants as well. Why, you, you know, you can't sit in the office naked with just a shirt on, you have done a tie, well, just a tie. I said, look, I'm wet. You don't want me to catch a cold, do you? And they said, we don't mind. We, we, we're fine with you catching a cold if it means that uh, we... Please take your underwear off the radiator. I said, if it's so upsetting you, why haven't you taken it off yourself? They said, do you, you really want us to touch that? As it is, we're going to have to condemn the whole office now. I suggest you overreaction. He said, go and have a look at what it's done to the radio. The radios are melted. Look. They really just took things up. They took it too far sometimes. And... Yeah, I did do. I didn't think people would mind there being socks on the radiator. Well, I generally did put my socks on the radiator. It didn't go down very well. The thing is, we had this really. It was, I think it was like three floors, the building. Uh, and it had air conditioning, so the people on the top floor in the sales department would get in. Like, oh, what's that smell? Ugh. Oh, we laughed. But it used to be horrible getting, getting there. In the end, I had to sort it out and think, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my shoes in my bag. I'm going to wear trainers or different, different um, walking instruments. 
to go to work in, regardless of the weather. And then I'd have a spare pair of socks always with me in case I needed. I just put them in the same bag as my underpants. Not the sealed bag, the, the bag with, I'm talking about the bag with the clean, clean underpants in. And it worked out okay, actually. I was quite pleased. But yeah, seeing Andre being back to himself was quite nice. So, so what is it? Oh, I've got two things. Jenny, Jenny, thank you for your, she sent me, Jenny sent me a, a door thing which sort of says beware ferret lives here beware ferret which I'm going to get stuck on my front door I'll put a picture when I do it I'll put it on Facebook so thank you for that it's lovely and uh, she also sent me this is concerning Rapunzel that was the last story I did so number four of the Jason's story time, Rapunzel, from the 5th of July, 2020. And she, um, Jenny, sent me a, a thing saying, know your rampion, know your vegetables. Because part of the story was talking about rampion and the... The lady in the story was absolutely obsessed with Rampion. Well, that's weird. I've downloaded it, but it's not fitting onto the screen of my phone. What's that about? What on earth have you sent me to? Why hasn't it fitted onto my screen? Open in Safari. Okay. No, still not fitting into my screen. Open view browser settings. Autofill. Ah. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to try and read it, but it's very. Hard to explain what's happened, but it's, I'm turning this phone sideways and it's not working. Unless it's my phone, it's a sites.google.com. So the Rampion Cambanula. Let me put my glasses on. No, that doesn't work. The wrong glasses. Campanula. Rapun, Rapunculus, formerly regularly 
cultivated in English kitchen gardens and much valued as a wholesome edible vegetable is seldom grown for years now though its graceful flowers are sometimes seen to advantage in the borders as an ornamental plant. The plant is found in wild England on gravely on gravelly roadsides and hedgebanks and in open pastures from Stratford southwards. I'm guessing that's Stratford on Avon, not Stratford, but proper Stratford is East London. But Stratford on Avon is that's like uh, Shakespeare, Shakespeare land. Proper Stratford is East London where I used to live. But it is uncertain whether it should be held as a true native in the localities in southern England where it is now established. So Rampion provides flowers to grace the vegetable patch and attract pollinators, which is important, isn't it? So that's good. So it's, isn't nature wonderful? It, uh, <laughs> that sounded sarcastic, didn't it? I, I genuinely, <laughs> oh, of course you, you look wonderful. Your new hairstyle looks amazing. <laughs> it's, um, I didn't mean it to sound, um, sarcastic, but it, I got all excited. I was very, that was me being positive. It's like, okay, you can attract pollination to your vegetable patch. So it's, you know. Okay. Long edible roots, which is really good because you can eat them. Uh, leaves that can be eaten as a spinach substitute. So you can eat the leaves. Young shots can be cooked like asparagus in the spring. So basically it's it's quite a good vegetable because it's edible. That's, that's not a bad uh, start, is it? So you can sow in autumn for harvest the following spring or in spring to harvest in November to be lifted for winter storage. I thought it might say something about the, uh, you know, the nursery rhyme, but it hasn't. So, Rampion is still much cultivated in France, Germany, and Italy, and occasionally here in England, for the roots which are boiled tender like parsnips and eaten hot with a sauce. This is a bit I want to know about. The roots are sweetish with a slight pungency 
but they're wholesome, are considered inferior to other roots now, more widely grown for culinary use. Right. I just want to go back to the story of Rapunzel. She was obsessed. Like the lady, not Rapunzel, but Rapunzel's mummy, was absolutely obsessed with Rampion. I mean, the whole story shows that I've actually listened to what I was saying. I learned a lot this week. I also learned about Tom Thumb, but I can't tell you about that because that's, that's a secret. Um, it's quite a short story. So I, was so her, Uncle Stiltskin's mum was looking out of the window, absolutely obsessed with getting her hands on that rampion. In fact, you could say she was rampant. Uh, so she was, and she became obsessed and then absolutely addicted to it. And now I've looked it up. And it's basically a kind of like an onion. It isn't something to get excited about. It spoiled it a little bit for me because every part of that story really seemed realistic to me. I could relate to all of it. And even that bit about the Rampion, because in my imagination it was some like, amazing um, delicacy. And it's like you'd eat it and suddenly you'd be like, oh, now that's nice. But it's an inferior product. It's not even, it's a root. It's not even something that's very popular. I mean, it's like, oh, it's popular till, till they discovered par parsnips. Great. Now, don't knock parsnips, though. I think you're out of order there. Because parsnips... Not parsnips themselves, well, parsnips themselves, but a certain way of cooking them. Parsnips fried, or roasted rather, are delectable. They're, they've also they it's, oh, they seem to produce their own honey. There's just a, there's a certain certain special quality about parsnips. I just, oh, really, never used to like them. Never used to. I can't really explain why. I just didn't. You know, it's just one of those things. It just didn't. I think it's probably the way I cooked them. Just didn't really enjoy boiled, because that's all I ever used to do is boil stuff. Sometimes, I mean, I do have a... Uh, not a mincer, um, a steamer. I do have a steamer, 
I've never used it. So I could look into doing that sometime. And I imagine steamed parsnips might be okay. It's really weird. As I talk about parsnips, I'm feeling Christmassy. Because parsnips and cranberry sauce, those two, and stuffing, those three, and Yorkshire pudding. So those four, and roast potatoes, those five, and maybe, you know, turkey, the six. I'm just saying that it's a nice combination. You know, I've always been one of these people that likes to that like to tell you what kind of person I am. I'm, always, I'm, always, I'm one of these people, you know, that always likes to... No one likes to always do anything. Stop it. Me, me, me. I... I like to put a little bit of everything in my mouth. I'm not showing off. I'm just saying that if I've got four objects on my plate and it's a meal, you know, it's not some kind of uh, laboratory experiment. Of course, I'm not going to put that in my mouth. But if, if, if it's like a dinner and there's, you know, food on the plate, I like to have a little bit of each and try and get at least three bits different things onto my fork and stuff it in my gob because I like the mixture the combination of flavours and I like that not everyone's like that though you know because some people they will eat one thing they'll eat all the potatoes then they'll eat the Yorkshire puddings or have the Yorkshire puddings last not me I like to mix everything together I had a friend years ago that would get a McDonald's he'd always eat the fries first wouldn't mix oh no burger and potato no 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 I can't what together in in the same mouth at the same time no, no, no. You'd eat the fries first. It used to wind me up so much. So what I did is... Uh, I made him some soup. And I got a little bit of... A uh, little bit of burger. And a couple of fries. And I just mixed them together into the soup. So you had to have both the potato, fries and the, the burger at the same time. Unfortunately, it was a bit too big and, the, you know, so I had, to, <laughs> I, had to get, I had to chew them up, you know, first before. <laughs> I didn't do any of this stuff. Why am I even mentioning it? It's just gross. <laughs> just making myself laugh. He might be listening i tell you a weird thing I did do, and I've probably told this story before, and it's totally true. Okay. And it's embarrassing. But it's true. Um, 
I was with a girlfriend who I loved very much. At least that's what I told her. No, I did. <laughs> See, I did. Oh, yeah, I did love her. I'm sure I did. I loved everyone. I've loved everyone that doesn't laugh when I'm at me when I'm naked. I love them. Mind you, I'm yet to find someone that hasn't laughed at me when I'm naked, but I'm just saying, if I ever did. So, she, she says, I think we should do something special tonight. I thought, yee. <laughs> um, I think at the time, I shouted out, Something about getting me chocolate wings. But anyway, she she said, do something special. I said, okay. I was just happy just to... I was just happy that a human being wanted to touch me. Really? That was nice. And she went downstairs. She came back upstairs. And she was holding a yoghurt pot. She took the yoghurt off. She licked the lid of the yoghurt pot. She put her finger into the yoghurt pot and licked the yoghurt off of her finger. And then she said, hold on to that be right back so I'm not going to say what happened, what I did this is a long time ago this is before I knew any better I was only about 42 at the time no this is why <laughs> anyway regardless of what I did She came back upstairs about five minutes later. I'm ready. I've kind of prepared myself for what I thought was going to happen. And she said, oh, great. She's holding a spoon. She's saying, where's the yogurt? I said, oh. So I kind of... It's on the side counter, so I basically I give her the half empty part of yoga, and she says, oh, "There's not a lot in here, is there?" And she starts to eat it. That's the end of that story, really. So I've missed a few little bits out, but. Uh, <sighs> I've got a shout out. This is saying, shout out to the most beautiful, sexy angel in the world. Jason Newland. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Oh. Oh, that's from my sister. <laughs> so... 
oh, we're talking about embarrassment. Here's another embarrassing thing I did. Okay, you can't tell anyone about this. It's along the same lines. Okay. I was sleeping over at a friend's house. I was still at school. Probably 15, 14, 15 at the time. Obviously, you know, good friends because I was sleeping at his house. Um, his parents liked me for some reason. And, well, they tolerated me. Anyway, he, I wake up, I'm in a sleeping bag on the floor of his bedroom. He's in his bed underneath his covers. I wake up, I figure he's just waking up as well. And we chat in. And he says, I'm always making some weird noises again. He said to me, do you want to have a competition? Again, I can't, I'm not going to tell you what the competition was, but it was, it was a race. And neither of us left our particular bedding environment. We were both covered up. You know, I was on the floor, he was in his bed. And I won that particular race. And I was jubilant, felt a little bit weird. It was a bit of a weird experience, but like I won. It's a very, you know, still covered up completely. And he started laughing. And he jumped out of his bed and he was fully clothed. And said, it's breakfast time. He said, I was only joking. I said, yeah, me too. Is she coming for breakfast? I said, yeah, in a few minutes. Two days later at school, he told me that his dad wanted to know what had happened to the sleeping bag, the inside of the sleeping bag. I said, I don't know. And uh, we left it there. I don't know why. Why they seemed to like me or put up with me so I was a little bit I think I was a little bit rude back then verbally you know I'd, if I ate around someone's house I said thanks for the grub I need a poo now or you know something like that you know thanks Neil's mum hello Neil's dad you take me to school please I can't be bothered to walk 
Or it would be just like, you know, I had to go. Now we've got Andre's decided to make an appearance. You do a coup or we oh, it's a coup, definitely. It's a big old smelly one as well, I think. Both of these legs are holding it. Oh, what a lovely, what a lovely little gift. Thanks, mate. That's lovely, gorgeous. Mmm, yum. Looks like those sausages I ate earlier. So, yeah, one of the things was I yeah, I, I remember we got drunk I went around my friend's house and we got drunk and um We all got drunk, it wasn't just me, but I think they aimed it at me. So it's three of us, and it was, I think either the teachers were on strike, or it was a half day um, study day, or something like that. Like I was going to study. Study for what? So, you know, I didn't study the whole five years I was at school. I'm not bragging, because look at me. 49 year old unemployed person <laughs> but I do have a degree I've got a degree see that's the thing I reckon if I'd have been successful after having got the degree I could have gone and been an inspirational speaker motivational speaker saying look this is my life, I know, started off this way and, you know, it was difficult times and had mental health issues from a child onwards. Um, yeah, I still managed to get a degree and I, you know, went to my um, little refugee party, what was it called? You know where you collect the degree from? get it I think it was called but the thing where you dress up with that big flat hat on graduation that's it graduation I went I went to my graduation when I was 40 years old and you know I left school with nothing left school with at 15 years old with no qualifications zilt zero no ambition I'm still there still got no ambition that's not true though is it really yeah sometimes I like to put myself down like from a humorous perspective but also sometimes I think wait a minute I'm saying the stuff that I used to actually believe about myself and it's not true anymore it never was true, but I used to believe it. I used to believe I was stupid, and I believed that believed that I couldn't learn anything new, and I believed I was never able to get a degree. I couldn't even get a, an O level or CSE or GCSE, whatever they're called now. How was I going to get a degree? 
But I did. But there's still that part of me thinks, dumb, dumb. Probably don't do myself any favours by making these recordings, though, do I? <laughs> well, I'm definitely sometimes in dumb, dumb category. I'm in that territory of acting silly. It's all for fun. Anyway, my friends got me drunk. And it's the drunkest I've ever been before or afterwards in my entire life. Never been that drunk before. Well, clearly, you know, I was 14, whatever, 15. And I probably, I don't know, it might have been 15, 14 or 15. But I was, it's before I left school, and I left school in April and I wasn't 16 till the end of August and the what's really weird I'll tell you what's weird is I went I had well see I didn't have to but the thing with school is they train you to follow the rules even though even when you don't perhaps follow them you still kind of have to I still had that inbuilt in me that I had to go and do my G, my CSE exams at school, even though I'd left, even though I knew that I wasn't going to make any effort, I didn't care about the outcome, but I still went because I didn't want to get in trouble. How weird is that? I wouldn't have got a lower mark if I'd have not turned up. In fact, if I'd have turned up, done a big poo on the desk, and run off giggling, I would have probably got a higher mark than what I did by turning up and doing the actual exam. So, you know, it wasn't... Not that I actually attempted, I just turned up and just wrote down a load of rubbish just for the sake of it some of it was just jokes you know just silly answers to questions and I I had this rule where because at school the alarm used to go off I think it's every 40 minutes between lessons, so all day long, every 40 minutes, the alarm would go off. Maybe not at lunchtime, I don't know, it'd be a different time period, but you know, so the rules were if you hadn't finished your exam paper by the time the buzzer went or the alarm went, then you had to wait until the following alarm went. So even if you was only spent five minutes afterwards, you have to wait another 35 minutes or whatever before you could leave. There was no way, there was nothing going to stop me from going. There's, no one could stop me from leaving. But I didn't like that idea of being, sort of having to stay there. 
So what I did is I made sure that I left after 40 minutes. I was finished probably within about five minutes. But I made sure I left at the first bell every time. And I had a competition with one of my friends who was there and he did the same thing. And we both had a, a multiple choice. I think it was maths or geography or something, a multiple choice. And we had a race to see who could fill the form in the quickest. And it was just ticking, just random ticking boxes randomly. And it was like 150 questions or something silly like that. I mean, technically, I could have passed that by accident, couldn't I? I could have passed that by accident, by accident, oh yeah. It is strange that sometimes I find myself learning new things. It just doesn't feel right. I have to try and push it away. I don't want new things learned. Stop it. I spend years trying to avoid learning new things. No, I don't want that in my head. The, um, there's so much I don't know, you know, that I don't, I don't admit to it. That things, you know, that maybe a lot of other people do know, or maybe they remember from school. Things like, um, you know, capitals of, villages and stuff and how deep the mountains are and how wide the trees my light bulb in my bathroom is flashing on and off and it's supposed to last for six years genuinely the light bulb was put in seven years ago no it was put in last year and it's a proper, like, I can't replace it myself. It's some kind of, it's a council job. They put it in, it's a sort of big electrical job thing. I mean, I don't think it takes long for them to change it. But I can't just check, I have to take the whole thing off the wall and the ceiling rather. Why do we call it a ceiling? Why not just the top wall? Because it is kind of a wall, isn't it? It's a flat surface. But since the ground is, I suppose, isn't it? Why don't we call, why don't we call the ceiling the top ground? Or the ground, the bottom ceiling? That's probably not relevant to the light, though. Why? Hmm... Uh, don't like flashing lights. I don't. I mean, I don't dislike them. I'm not prejudiced, but I'm just. I don't. I kind of. Oh, is there a faulty wiring? Because this is an old building, mate. This is this proper, mate. It really is, mate. Proper old building. Good, like 50, 60, 70 years old. I think this was built in the fifties. So yeah, that'd be about seventy years. And used to be for old people. El okay, elderly. Is that a better word? Um, elder for elderly people. 
these flats were built, these ones, the ones, the whole kind of area, just these, this estate, not, see this was, I think, originally, I might be wrong, but this is a council estate built on an estate, so I think, again, I'm making this up, so please forgive me for everything I've ever done, um, and what I'm about to do also, this was, I do believe that when a company builds houses, or when the government builds houses, they have to have a percentage that are social housing. And this area was social housing. It's not all social housing now because a few of them have been bought. One of them in my block's been bought. The one next door's been bought. And at least, I think, two of the ones that side have been bought. The other side, over the side of the gate or the fence, it's studio apartments, but apparently they're quite big. So, my friend, someone, a neighbour that I know that I speak to every now and then, who's she lives on the estate but she's not the count on the council she's got her own house because the houses around here they're I was quite surprised it was like around the corner there was a for sale sign outside one of the houses and it's a heritage um, the company the so these houses are really old but really valuable apparently because I've looked in the heritage um, not news agents estate agents in town thinking well, what's that about but they basically sell really expensive houses that are possibly um I guess listed maybe mind you why would you want to buy a listed house don't even want to know where you lived here but I looked in there and I was surprised because I didn't have a coffee machine I thought they would have had unless it was in the back but then I looked at the boards and sort of the prices and I don't know if it was anything less than about five six hundred grand uh, and this, uh, see this area where I live, if it wasn't for the people, it'd be quite nice. <laughs> Isn't that the same for everywhere? No, these the people are okay. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure though. I sometimes get some funny looks with Andre and some funny stares like earlier some bloke was just staring at me I was walking through the park with Andre and I I don't know it's because I'm not scared I'm not I don't get intimidated by people like that so I just I don't know it's, I kind of I find it Slightly amusing, but slightly like, well, what's that all about? 
movements. Because I think what you, what you find in Essex, there's a lot of people, it's unofficial this is, there's quite a few people that are like ex-gangsters from London that move to Essex because they kind of retire. So they might have been kind of underworld, you know, sort of really tough, strong, violent, you know, scary people. And now they're sort of in retirement or semi-retirement. Maybe do, do a bank job every few months just to, you know, as a hobby. And, um, or get an allotment. And so you never really know who you're around. And it's interesting, I just find it, you know, I can usually, I'm quite good at spotting people. Not not knowing their history, obviously, I'm not, um, I don't know people's history, but I can, I can get quite a good vibe. Not always a good vibe, but I can get a vibe from roughly what kind of the cut of someone's jib, as they say. Just a little bit when it comes to uh, rough people. Um, scum. <laughs> no, not scum. Just people to be wary of, maybe. Not that I care anymore, to be honest with you. It's, I'm, I'm not here to worry about people like that. Ain't my problem, my dear. I'm here to talk rubbish into a microphone. But this whole area is kind of... I suppose it's like middle class, white middle class, I guess. Or... The thing is, middle class really is... It's a mixture, because there's a lot of working class done done good. Like, my dad would class himself as middle class. But he... He didn't come from that. You know, my nan and granddad working class, through and through. Lived in a council house all their lives. You know, never owned their own house, never owned a car, raised five children, 700 grandchildren. And each of her kids, my nan, my, my, my dad's brothers and sisters, they've all done really well for themselves. As in, um, never been without a day's work. You know, all got trades. My uncle, two uncles, one's a plumber, One's a carpenter, dad's an electrician, the other aunt's a teacher, and the other one was, I think, uh, worked with the police or something. So all like really like professional. And so I guess they became middle class in a sense by being really good financially. See, I've not, I've not inherited that. And I don't know where they got it from, but thinking about it, 
if you're going to raise five children post-war, you know, we're talking, in fact, my oldest uncle was born during the war. During the war. So he was born during the war. Or he was born, yeah, I think it was kind of a honeymoon baby. So, or the war might have started. My granddad came home, married my nan. They had a couple of days together. Then they got married at the registry office. I might be wrong. There's no time for... People got married really quickly back then. And... I think it took about three minutes. I'm talking about the marriage. I don't, I don't know how long it took. I, I, sh, I, can't, I can't believe I nearly... I was about to say I should ask my nan. I can't ask my nan, can I? She probably told me. I've seen pictures and stuff of... Again, it's all about the wedding. Um, yeah... So she, my granddad went to war. He came back to a, I don't know, a five-year-old child. Something like that. So, because he was a prisoner of war. And Well, he was until the, his captors realised that he wasn't German. So they, they let him go, those Americans. And <laughs> that's not true. And he... So thinking about it, he worked for the government all his life after... Because my granddad was in the army... He'd done his full term in the army before the war even started. So he was, I think, 29 years old when the war started. So he'd served from 16 to... I think he'd done like 12 years. So 16 to 28 or something like that. So he'd done a full, full proper term, you know. That's a long time. He had to, he had a, um, he got his army pension and everything when he retired, as well as his government pension from the job he had, because he, when he left the army, my granddad was a cool, cool dude. Nothing like me, honestly. I only ever had two conversations with him. He was not a chatty person. I mean, I, it might surprise you, but I can be quite chatty. And he wasn't. But you know what? I think he had more integrity, more respect. Um, in him than I'll ever could ever have. I think I just yeah there's something about him that was way better than me as a person and toughness as well tough so tough it wasn't just because well it might I mean that's not gonna obviously it helped the fact that he'd been in the army for 12 years 
plus it survived the war, the Second World War, plus it being it survived being in a concentration, well, you know, in a camp thing. But before that, he was a boxer during in the army, won medals and stuff. He was like a really good boxer. And so physically, mentally, he was just really, really strong, phenomenally strong. And I'm not comparing having mental illness to being weak because I would never do that. And because I have that, that would be me putting myself down and probably many, many people that listen to me. So I'm not saying he was strong mentally in a sense that he didn't have mental health issues because I bet you he did bet you millions of pounds and I've got a few million in the bank you know oh yes I bet you but he kept it inside that generation didn't talk about it he came back from the war there was a party outside in the street to celebrate him coming back because my nan had already had his funeral. They thought he was dead, so he'd already had the funeral. And then she found out, finds out that he's been rescued from a camp right at the end of the war after everything was like, you know, they, were, they think maybe the Americans were sort of emptying the the camps and taking people home and, you know, and he had to go and have um, be rehabilitated, and he he was malnutritioned and all that stuff, like probably everyone else. And what happened? How about this? this is something this my nan told me. There was a celebration outside in the street to welcome him back, welcome back, Ted, because everyone knew him. Um, my nan had dated him, I think, since the age of 17 until the age of about 20 or nine, twenty. Yeah, so, and so, you know, he was, he was a local, I think he, he might have even grew, grown up there. And so I had all this party going on outside, people were waiting for him to come in to... Know, come down the road and stuff he came a different way and he, he crept into the back through the back gate he didn't want any of that couldn't face any of that just wanted to have a cup of tea I guess he just wanted to spend time with his his wife and his little boy who he'd never seen And you know, for years, so when I was a little, when I, I didn't really know him until I was seven, because from the age of, well, I just wasn't, I didn't live with my dad or anything until I was seven. Um, I was with him for the first, I don't know, three or four months of my life, and then other stuff happened. So when I was seven, I used to look up at my granddad and just think that he was just amazing. 
But then I used to do that with my dad as well. And to be fair, my dad was amazing. He was a big, strong man, saved us from the children's home. Um, and I think most kids probably... It was different. I don't know how to explain it because I imagine a lot of kids would think that of their parents but because I've never had that experience of being with one person all the way through childhood. I don't know what it's like to have that um, natural kind of love that's just happened naturally, you know. And he... He was a hero. He was my first hero. I need to tell him that one day. He was my first hero. Yeah. Perhaps if I said it at the time, that might have made a difference. Hmm. It's never too late. And... I don't know what my point was this was. Anyway, my granddad, I looked up to him because he was, I know it's a cliche, the strong, silent type, but that's what he was. But I didn't realise, because back then I didn't know about psychology, I hadn't studied it, I hadn't studied counselling or um, human behaviour or emotions or, you know, I didn't. I didn't know about that stuff really. I was a little child. So as far as I was concerned, he was absolutely fine. Had no problems in his life. He was pleasant. He smiled. He was stern. He was strict. But he wasn't physical. You know, when he said stop, you stop. It was. He didn't have to shout. It was quiet. Now, Jason, get down from the roof. It's very to the point. And we did what we were told. But not to the point of always moaning and new. And as I talk about it, one of my favourite memories, and this was again when I was about seven. We used to visit my nan and granddad, and then, and I did. I knew my name, my nan, and granddad, when I was little, but I was too young to remember. Uh, because I was from the age of three months or six months, I'm not sure between that time, old and two years old, I was living with foster parents with my set my older brother but my oldest brother was living with my grandparents for that period of time year and a half or whatever and then our mum came and took us because our foster parents wanted to adopt us so again I had a man and a woman that loved me but I don't remember them it's weird isn't it but My nan was around before we moved back. She came and visited. And I didn't 
really know who she was. And I think one weekend we because that we had this period where we used to come and stay with my dad and his wife, his new wife, and we'd they'd pick us up on the Friday evening. He was probably working and finished work, drove all the way to South End, picked us up, drove us all the way home, or back to his house where he was sharing with his wife and his wife's mother. Um, yeah, so my other gran. And who, incidentally, I got on really well with. I'm talking, I was really, really, really close with her. Really close with her. Until I lived with her. For, you know, nearly a year. After that, never spoke. We just... Terrible. It was really... I was a teenager. I was 15. Turned 16. And then moved out a few months after my 16th birthday and they moved away. But I had nothing to do with her after that and she had nothing to do with me. Yet before that, proper close. I used to visit her regularly... You know, during my childhood, from like when I was old enough to sort of do stuff on my own, I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, 13. And she'd always be around our house regularly, much more than my other nan. She used to stay over. She had a room that she used to stay in. Because my nan didn't need that because she lived with her husband. And, um, you know, she wanted to go back to her own house. But she was, oh, I really got on well with her. And for years I've had this like real negative kind of thought about her, but the reality is, if you take away that last year, we were really tight. I mean, really close. We would talk for hours. And I loved her. Really loved her. So, isn't it weird? And so, my granddad, don't know why I'm talking about this stuff, but yeah, my granddad was. Right near the end of his time, he started talking about the war. And he hadn't talked about it for 40 years, however long. I mean, he, this we're talking 1990, so what was it, 45, 55, 65, 75, 85. So 45 years he hadn't mentioned, he hadn't talked about it, refused to talk about it. And suddenly he was talking about it. He was opening up. Like going into details about stuff. And I mean, he, he never said anything to me. But at that time I was living in London. And I only saw him a couple of times. 
And it's really weird because I did something that I'd never do. I don't mean standing on my head doing break dancing or anything like that. Is the last time I saw him, it was at my nan's birthday party. And I think it was March 1991. And my granddad was sitting there in a chair. And it was usually a handshake. That was it. You know, that was the most, that was, that was it. That was as close I ever, as I ever got to him. But this time, I kissed him on his cheek. On his face. Kissed him on his cheek. And I, don't if, I might have done that when I was a little kid, I don't remember. But I hadn't done it. I don't remember ever having done it before. Maybe I was scared before. Maybe I was, I wanted to, but I didn't feel I was able to. And I kissed him on his cheek because I kind of knew that that was, well, I felt that that was going to be, might be the last time I saw him. And I remember, I always remember what he said to me. He said, stop doing that, it's disgusting. Oh, don't kiss me. Ooh. No, he didn't say that. He said, can't remember what he said. Played street poker. So yeah, that was good. A bit of a nostalgic I today for some reason. Maybe it's the rain. Maybe it's weird that my mood lightened. A couple of things happened today that lightened my mood. Andre, of course, seeing him jumping around and like wow that was good second thing is I had a text from my dad because I spoke to him the day before yesterday and because this was last night well yesterday yeah, well, it's, it's a different day now isn't it it's now the 8th or something July and he said it was lovely talking to you yesterday or I enjoyed talking to you. He's never written a text like that to me before. So I, I was like, wow, that's nice. And it was a nice conversation. It was humorous. It was light. It was attentive on both sides. It was nice. And, and my dad talk, my dad sounds like me. I, you know, I've inherited... I think my brother does as well. Maybe all of them do. We're all... I guess we've kind of... I would say... Out of all of us, I'm probably the one that looks most like my dad. In some ways. But then I haven't seen my other brothers for absolutely years 
apart from the little brother who isn't little. I mean, he's got this kind of same kind of body, but he's my little brother's broad, big, strong lad. And he, I would say he looks more like his mum, like facially. Which is a good thing. You know, he's, he's, he's very lucky, he's very handsome. I'm not saying that his mum was handsome, and she was a very beautiful woman. I'm just saying he, he's kind of taken that. And, but he's also got the, the, the muscly, um, broad kind of shoulders that my dad's got. Now I've got my dad's face and I've got my mum's body. So, hence the need for a bra, a very supportive one as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was nice. And then I got a phone call from my friend Noel, who I've known for 30 years nearly one of my oldest friends and he's helped me out lots and as I said to him I said to him I said it a few times but I don't think it always sinks in so I do try to keep I try and tell him so that he knows I'm not just saying it for the sake of saying it or trying to blow uh, smoke up his bum you know it really is um, true if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And he said, what do you mean being unemployed at 49 and having no money? I said, no, not that. Talking about helping people, hope, you know, with the online podcasts that I do. And I wouldn't have spent the last 14 and a half years doing that. And he said, well, how, how, what have I got to do with that? I said, oh, wait a minute, no, it wasn't you, was it? It was all me. I take the credit. And I said, well, no, because he steered me in this direction. He helped me in a time that I was desperately in need of help and support. Not financially, but emotionally, as in needing a focus, needing something. So I was in a pretty weird place back in 97. Very, very strange year that was. And he kind of led me towards self-help, self-development, NLP, which led to hypnosis, and which led to eventually me doing this free hypnosis service from 2006. Well, actually, it's from 2004, but it didn't. I used to have a website, helpwithpain.co.uk. But that didn't really do much traffic, if I'm honest. But eventually, I got, got it started. And the also, when I became a counsellor and I qualified, he lent me some money to get me started in private practice. So, and even at Christmas, you believe, he put £200 into my bank account on Christmas. 
or like the week before Christmas. I didn't even know he was in there until he phoned me. Because quite often I just don't bother looking into the, into the bank. Because back then I used to draw money out and then I'd wait till the next money was put in. But now, at the moment, so much of transactions needs to be done by card. No one seems to want to handle cash anymore. It's, uh, even the local drug dealer's got an app. I pay, pay. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, um, it's helped me a lot. And, <clears throat> Doing the counselling and having that experience, although it only lasted for about three years as a counsellor, three or less than four years anyway, as a professional counsellor, I learned a lot, which I think helped me to develop my free hypnosis service, helped to be a bit more... I don't know, therapeutic, I hope. I don't mean in these recordings. I always have to say that, don't I? Because I know that someone might be listening thinking, yeah, but you're just talking a bunch of rubbish most of the time. Yeah, but if you listen to some of my other podcasts, I don't talk a lot of rubbish. You know, deep sleep, whisper ones, pretty good. Relaxation for stress and anxiety, pretty good. Sleep Hypnosis Weekly, pretty good. Hypnotic Buffet, superb. No one listens to them, but they're brilliant. I've no idea what you're missing. Absolutely wonderful podcast. <laughs> like 36 wasted hours of my life, that was. Oh, blimey. Anyway. So it's kind of, so that was really nice. And then, the last time I went outside was a couple of days ago, before last night, and I had a bit of a hard time. Just struggled dealing with people. So what I did, is I did a little chant, a little sort of internal, uh, thingy what I was saying be gentle be kind be friendly be gentle, be kind, be friendly and I was just kind of saying that to myself as I was walking towards the garage because I thought reality is if I have those intentions inside me then I'm more than likely going to come across as a bit friendlier and the person behind the counter who could be the, the difficult person that doesn't like me might be well, he's just rude he may not be as rude possibly but I was kind of preparing myself just be kind, be gentle because ultimately, 
the only loser is me because I end up leaving having felt a bit rubbish and then I kind of regret how I'm feeling and allowing myself to feel those things so I thought no I'm going to prepare myself and I did went in there got some Cokes can of four Cokes can of four pack of four cans of Cokes got some croissants and a couple of chocolate bars and uh, a big tub of milk that was it one of the the staff in there they had three members of staff which is more than they used to have at that time of the day and he was talking to me asking me how I was and he was saying oh you like Cokes and I said because I go in there I'm probably known just for going and buying four Cokes and then he, he started telling me I'd given up Coke and um, so I was asking him how did he get on and he said I was he feels like he's got a lot more energy now and I was saying oh did you, just try, did you find you got a bit of a headache and stuff on you? And I was just chatting to him. So it was really nice. I stepped back and I banged into someone, or they banged into me, I'm not sure. And I said, oh, sorry. So that didn't annoy me. It didn't sort of... Because when I go in there with the mask on and the gloves on, and I'm a little, very kind of a bit too marked, too wary of around and it's not an enjoyable experience not that buying groceries in a garage is supposed to be an enjoyable experience a petrol station anyway and then there was two people there was a on the counter that was serving behind the counter and the lady asked me oh, do you want to come and get served okay cool and so I said, is it okay if I pay part on a card and part cash? Because I had um, £6 on my... No, £6? On my card. And so I paid that. And then I paid the rest in cash, which was... Well, I paid what I had in cash... And then pay the rest of the card. Something like that. And that. That was cool. Got all that done. Came out. I took the mask off as I got out. And walked back. And I felt really relaxed. Really calm. So it's kind of a good day. But what happened before that was really weird. I think I mentioned that I started doing a recording and I pressed the pause button. It didn't work out very well. Anyway, that's the end of the recording for this one. Thank you for listening. Remember to be kind to yourself because you deserve to be happy. Lots of love. Bye.